Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Jake, I think you and I probably share this and that in the job that we're in, you get a lot of like press releases or you know email kind of pitches to you about hey you know let's promote this let, let's do that and oftentimes it's a pretty quick delete for me i will say i got a I respond release. to everyone kevin oh yeah i'm sure mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah nice personal note uh, one that i received probably this time last week that made me smile and i said to mark dykton we've got to get him back on to talk about this and really it's probably an annual smile now that has extended and i can't believe this post decade we are in um, year 11 of the Chuck Strong Gala, and it has raised over $12 million for cancer research at the IU Simon Cancer Center. And a huge, huge part of that, of course, is Chuck Pagano. And he joins us now. Uh, Chuck, w- when I saw that, it, it, I feel like I'm amazed by the numbers every year, and I just can't help but but smile that this event not only continues, but you guys have done just an incredible job in raising money. So thank you for that, and uh, good morning to you. Hey, good morning, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Coach, I want to begin with this. Um, <coughs> excuse me. As Kevin was talking about, you know, with this ongoing effort and, and the incredible amount of money and awareness, you know, that you have been able to, to do here with – this Chuck Strong movement and now the millions of dollars raised. If you could for us, and I know that I I think we've had this conversation with you before, but I wanted to rehash it. You know, I applaud you because I, I, myself having gone through a health scare at no point, you know, the level of yours or the length of time that you went through and and the efforts of your journey. But, but I knew when I walked out of the hospital, like I felt kind of this obligation of like, okay, now I need to inform people about what I went through and, and you know how they can be preventative. And for you to not only have that thought, but then also to be able to act on it and continue to do so for you know a decade now, can you take me back to when you first perhaps had that epiphany of the fact you had a platform and now kind of an obligation to give back? Yeah, um, so it, so it is crazy. Uh, you know, Chuck Strong, 11.0, it seems almost surreal. And that just speaks to the, the goodness of, of people. There's so much more good than bad out there. Um, but I remember, you know, being first diagnosed. I remember uh, those first couple weeks in the hospital and the, the support that I received from, you know, the, the people here in, in Indianapolis, uh, the people in Indiana, the people around the NFL, friends, family, the team. I mean, I was only here six, seven months. They didn't really know me, but the support that you receive and the letters and the, the texts and the emails and all that stuff showing, you know, encouragement, telling people about, you know, their diagnosis, um, their victory over cancer, what to expect. I mean, it it helped me get through it. You know, of course, you got to take – you know, the treatment and have chemo and, and do all that stuff. And I was at the right place at the right time and had great care at IU Simon Comprehensive Cancer Center. We all know that. But then when you get, you know, halfway through it and you say, okay, look, we're going to win. We're going to beat cancer. Um, you, you start to feel that sense of what you're talking about is like, okay, what it, these people did for me, people that don't even know you, probably the support you received, you, you got support for people that you didn't know. I mean, it's like, okay, Tina and I looked at each other, we get through this, we're going to pay this thing forward. And we're going to do the same for others that are going to battle, because we all know that cancer doesn't discriminate. Unfortunately, it touches everyone uh, in some form or fashion. So it's, it's, it's an honor. It's a privilege. Um, it's very humbling to be able to, uh, to be here today and continuing uh, to do this and, and helping others get through their battle. I think that blueprint of the journey, Coach, is, you know, it's individualized, right? I mean, everybody, I always tell people, when whenever I hear of somebody who gets that diagnosis, you know, you do you, right? Do what's best for you. Take the journey and the path that is best for you. 
and I think it's important for people to know that. But for those that, that maybe are just entering that journey and are listening to you now, um, when you first, I mean, before the, the general public knew, before the press release, when you first got that news that you had been diagnosed, were you more scared or more angry? Uh, yeah, probably a combination, uh, to be honest with you. And you always say, okay, why me? You know, why now? You know, you just get your dream job. You spend 28 years uh, grinding away as an assistant coach and, and whatever. And then you sit down and it's and it's news you never think you're going to hear. You know, and you you hear it to other people, but you, you just don't think that it's ever going to happen to you. But, uh, yeah, I mean, those emotions come flooding forward. And then I always tell the story about that last game, you know, before I was diagnosed against Jacksonville and how we lost that game. We go in the locker room, say a few words, and Robert Mathis breaks the team down. And he says, hey, you know, there's no pity parties in football. There's no pity parties in life. Let's man up. We'll come in tomorrow, watch the tape, and we keep moving forward. And so at that moment, I looked at Tina, and I said, okay, look. And I looked at my doctor, my oncologist, Dr. Larry Cripe, said, okay, what's the game plan? What do we have to do, you know, to get through this? So it, it's, a, it's a mindset. I was very fortunate. The type of leukemia that I had, APL, uh, was very curable. It was treatable. Like I said, I was at the right place at the right time. So you just, you know, you lean on your faith, you lean on your family, uh, you lean on your caregivers, and you try to, you know, you stay as positive as you can. You know there's going to be some tough, tough days, some dark days, but you keep fighting, you know, and you never, ever give into it. And you, you hold out hope, and, and, you know, and that's why we're doing what we're doing, research you know, saves lives. So raising money for cancer research uh, is so, so important. Chuck, I think about this every year when the NFL schedule comes out. I, I think back to the 2012 season. Like you said, it was your first year. Um, you guys had just lost to Jacksonville. If I'm not mistaken, I think it was going to be week four, and you had the earliest bye week in the NFL. Like, just the odds of that kind of playing out how it did is a bit surreal, at least for me, I, I don't know how how you felt. If you don't mind, um, I know you've told this story before, but could you share just kind of walking off the practice field leading into that bye week when you realized, man, I, I think something's wrong here, and this is something that needs to get checked out? Yeah, like you step back to your point about the schedule when that bid came out, you're like, oh, damn, are you kidding me? Week four? You want it right around, you know, midseason, right? Week seven, week eight. That, that bye week, if you will, get guys healthy, all those reassess where you're at. And so, yeah, that was that was crazy that it worked out the way. Because if it's not week four, I'm not going to get checked. You're going to keep grinding, you keep moving along, and who knows if it's four or five weeks later where you're at as far as your diagnosis or where the cancer's at. So that was, uh, that was unbelievable in itself. And then I, I remember – going into the Jacksonville game that Sunday, you get to the, I always got to the stadium early, hang out, drink a million cups of coffee, pace the, the field, the locker room, you know, guts churning, looking over your notes. And I go into the uh, training room get, when the doctors arrive and I got all these bruises showing up on my torso. So I have them take a look at it. And they said, Hey, let's get through this game. We got to buy next week. Uh, we'll do some blood work and some tests. So sure enough, we <clears throat> per the new CBA, you can practice like Tuesday, Wednesday, and then cut, you have to cut the guys loose for four days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I, they sent a, uh, a nurse in to take draw blood Tuesday afternoon after that first practice. And then I got a call from uh, Doug Robertson, our team physician, telling me that, hey, your blood work's a little bit off. I've made you an appointment uh, to go see an oncologist out at Simon Cancer Center. And that's like... What? Are you kidding me? Because everybody's gone. It's just me and my uh, assistant, James Betcher, sitting there. Um, and then, you you know, you go to Wednesday practice. Wednesday was team photo. So we take a team photo, have the light practice, and then ship everybody out of there. And then, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't tell Tina. You know, I always tell the story. I didn't tell Tina. I didn't want to scare her. I was just going to drive myself down, go to see this oncologist. Everything's going to be fine. It's not what we think it is. And keep moving forward. 
And the training uh, doc came down and said, hey, you need to call Tina. You need a ride down there. I said, no, I don't. Everything's going to be fine. Yeah, yeah, you need a ride. So call her. She comes to get me. Very, very quiet ride, obviously, down there. And then you sit there and you get that news. And um, it's not what you're expecting to hear. But, yeah, it was uh, kind of ironic that, you know, that buy happened to come in, in week four. And like I said, right place at the right time. Now, here we are, um, 11th annual Chuck Strong Gala tonight. Again, over 12 million raised for IU Simon Cancer Center and Cancer Research. Among the guest list will include Ray Lewis, your relationship pretty well documented. Um, do you have a relationship with Ron Rivera? I-, I was curious to see that name on the list for tonight. Yeah, you know, when I got the head job in 2012, and you get, I've always admired, you know, and appreciated Ron as a player, coach, uh, head coach, everything that he's done in the National Football League. He's a stand-up guy. He's a good human being. Great coach, but a better person. Uh, him and his wife, Stephanie, Tina and I had, you know, time during those annual meetings uh, in the spring, you know, to hang out and, and kind of get to know each other uh, a little bit better. I ended up going down and uh, interviewing with Ron after 2018, the year I set out. And there was a, a position down there that we talked about. And then the coordinator's uh, gig came about, you know, in Chicago. So I ended up going there. But, yeah, I've always admired uh, Ron, uh, you know, as, as, a, as a person and as a man. And, and then just watching him, you know, battle in 2020 and, and go through a season very similar. And, and, you know, watching his journey, I just felt like after, you know, two years ago when B.A. came, and join me on stage with uh, with AC and kind of having that fireside chat, if you will. I thought it'd be awesome for for Ron and Stephanie to join us and for Ron to be able to have an opportunity to share, you know, a little bit about his journey and and where he's at with this whole cancer research. And he's a, you know he's a great advocate for it. Coach, before we ask a couple football questions here, I, I wanted to touch on one other thing. And I'm going to go off my memory here, which is dangerous to do because I'm, I'm getting older, you know. But um, I recall one of the first press conferences when you came, you know, out of the darkness, so to speak, and you were returning as a coach. And you told a story about, I think it was a young kid that either had given you advice or, or somehow delivered to you popsicles because of the lesions in your mouth that takes place during the treatments and and they recommended the popsicles and so you were eating the enjoying the popsicles but for you was there a a period or a point where you probably inevitably and understandably were feeling sorry for yourself and then you saw someone else's journey and thought to yourself boy i'm pretty spoiled to, to be feeling sorry for myself because look what they're going through and, and were there steps along the way that other people provided to Chuck Pagano a perspective and an appreciation? Yeah, no question. Uh, Ryan Darby uh, was the young man. He was a boy. He was a child. He's like six, seven years old. And he's talking about when you go through chemo, Coach, you want to chew ice because it'll help you, um, you know, try to avoid uh, the mouth sores and the sores that go down your esophagus, your throat and things that are, I guess, just a nightmare. And he said, so chew ice or better yet, when I was going through mine, I, I would get popsicles and chew those and cherry was my, my favorite flavor. So, you know, that advice and coming from, you know, a six-year-old kid, uh, you know, at, at the time, yeah, it does bring you great perspective and it, it's kind of a slap in the face like, okay, because once we see somebody do it and beat it and win, it's like, okay, if, if he can do this, hell, I can do this. So, you know, buckle up your chin strap, you know, stiffen your spine, set that jaw, and battle this son of a gun. Uh, and, you know, in my case, again, I was very fortunate and had great, great care uh, from from everybody at, at IU Simon Comprehensive Cancer Center and and so, yeah, I mean, and that's just that's just one story. And so we're we're humbled and blessed to to be here today still, and and be able to try to pay this thing forward and, and encourage and help others through their battle. Did you maintain a relationship with you said Ryan Darby, right? Ryan, yeah. Did you maintain a relationship yeah, so, yeah, with him? Yeah, he's healthy. He's thriving. Uh, 
I, yeah, I emailed through his mom. He's probably got his own phone now and his own email address because I, I used to go through his mother. You know, I would get a, a text or an email from her, and then I'd email back to her. It was it was it was awesome. And he, we sent him a helmet. And he sent me this picture back, and he had this helmet on, and he doing his Heisman pose. Uh, I still, you know, it was hung in my office. Uh, until the day they let me go, and I packed up my office here in India in seventeen. But uh, it's somewhere in storage, and when we we get our stuff out of storage in Boise, I pull that out and and hang that back up in in you know my new office uh, once we get that thing you know built. But uh, yeah, it's it's crazy how how much you keep up with with so many people like that. Chuck Pagano was our guest. He's on the Payless Liquors Hotline, and of course the Chuck Strong again Gala. 11.0, as you had mentioned, raising over now uh, into the, the second decade, if you will, of millions of dollars for cancer research at Indiana University. I wanted to ask you, Coach, you know, this is the, the time of year as you get set for the draft, not you, but but teams are getting ready for the draft. Can you give us some perspective on, as you get down to the nitty-gritty, I, I can't imagine that there would be players that that teams are unfamiliar with at this point you've probably scouted every one but for as a head coach was there a particular point in the draft where you where some players were a little bit you were vague on because you hadn't had a chance to see to that level of depth and you had to trust your scouts and how much say in the very when it comes down to it how much say does the head coach have versus gm owner yeah, that's always uh, a collaborative effort, uh, if you will. I think, you know, probably everybody uh, tries to manage uh, the draft that way uh, and everybody being on the same page. The first part of your question about knowing everybody in the in the draft and the 260-plus players that are uh, going to come off the board through seven rounds, you're not going to know every single one of them. But the, at the top of that draft – Obviously, the, the the first three rounds, and then into you know day three, four through seven, you, you've got a pretty good feel for most of those guys. But you have to trust your GM. You have to trust the front office people. Your your you know pro personnel guys, your your college uh, scouting guys, the guys that are grinding, the guys that are on the road. Um, you know that that whole that whole year traveling around and visiting all these colleges and, and researching these players and evaluating these players uh, for a, a lot of time. You know, the top 30 guys, you know, you bring in, I mean, you're going to know those guys like the back of your hand. But then it's a, it's a trust deal. Right now everybody's finalizing their boards. They're doing, you know, finalizing their draft meetings. And the hay is almost in the barn, so to speak. And you get your, you get your board set. It may get tweaked here in the next, you know, you know, next few days uh, ahead. Uh, but then, as those names start to fly off, you you trust your board, you trust your your scouts, you trust the the rankings and the grade that you have on them, and 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 then you let the you let all that you let all that preparation and that process kind of handle handle everything. But then, you know, there's going to be a time where. The guy that you want is sitting right there, and all of a sudden, either somebody leapfrogs you, there's a trade, uh, you know, he falls off the board, and that's why uh, you have a cluster. Uh, you have a you have a plan, and you're not caught, you know, with your pants down. But yeah, it's a it's a collaborative effort, and it's it's okay. This is this is a this is the pick. This is the guy, and and we've got a plan to uh, develop this kid and make sure that he's very very successful. Do you miss that process, or does it suck? Because it sounds like at times it was no, no, I mean it's 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 a lot. There's a lot that goes into it. You know, you just don't watch a, a highlight. Get on YouTube now, and that's what I do now. because like, I don't have access to all the college tapes, so I just go to YouTube. Thank God, and pull up names and watch four or five clips, and think I know a player. You know, inside <laughs> out. But you know, oh man, this guy. But you, you know. They're, they're just showing you all the good. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> then you realize that it was put together by his YouTube page. Right? No question. Yeah, his handler, his dudes, <laughs> his guys, his mama, you know, his auntie, you know, whoever, right? But, uh, yeah, no, it's it's fun. I, I love this part of it. Because it, it, it's, always, it's always fascinating. It's always a thrill to see, you know, did you hit this guy? Did you have him pegged and evaluated exactly, you know, 
and there is no exact science to, science to us. You know, we all know how huge this draft is. You know, for for our beloved Colts. Uh, you know, coming up, uh, and how important it's going to be to to get this to hit on this this quarterback of the future, this franchise quarterback. Um, I'm assuming that's what we're going to do, or they're going to do. Uh, I don't want to speak out of line here, but. It's, it was always fun uh, exercise to, to see just how, you know, how close. And, and everybody sees it different. So those discussions, going through that process and talking, you know, through scouts, because, again, everybody sees, sees people a little bit different. So they were, they were exciting and fascinating, you know, process and discussions talking about these guys. Chuck, last one, and we appreciate your time on what is a very busy day and certainly going to be a pretty fun night. Um, you know, this time of year, and you guys only had, you know, really one top 10 pick during your tenure here, and obviously that was Andrew Luck at number one overall. So maybe it's different when you're as high as the Colts are right now in the draft order. But how much, like, lying happens this time of year? Like, we're going to hear from Chris Boward at noon today at his press conference. Like, how much lying goes around the National Football League when it comes down to the draft this time of year? Uh, there's some gamesmanship, you know, being played. Um, but I don't, I don't think there's, you can't say much, you know, so you're going to, you're going to say a lot with, with revealing very little, right. And, and kind of be as upfront and forthright as you possibly can. You may throw a few smoke screens out there, you know, Houston, for example, Hey, you know, we're not dead set on taking a quarterback here or two. So you put that line in the water and, and see if you get any nibbles and get any bites, right? So I think that's all part of this 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 whole deal and the draft process. It's fun. It's exciting. Uh, all of us fans out there now, I mean, love it. You love the drama of it, the history on it, whatever you want to call it. So, yeah, there there's some there's some gamesmanship there. There's some smoke screens uh, that happen, but – It'll be fascinating to see how it plays out. Of the YouTube clips that you've watched, let, we'll take Bryce Young off the board because let's say Carolina does take him. So between C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, Chuck Pagano, the quarterback of those three that has most impressed you is which? Well, I think just from a body of work, I think you've got to, if you can, you go C.J. Stroud, just where he played, the level of competition, uh, his tape, I mean, he's as clean uh, of a prospect uh, as there is out there. Uh, again, there's no exact science. There's no surefire. Who knows what's going to happen? But, you know, Anthony Richardson, the skill set, uh, the, athletic, the athletic ability, and his ceiling, his ceiling is so friggin' high. It, it, that would be a really fun deal. I mean, and, and Shane's offense, to see what he did with, with Jalen Hurts. But, yeah, so probably C.J. and then – if you end up with Anthony Richardson, I know as a defensive coach, game planning and preparing to stop that guy that's a dual threat, that's a nightmare. Will Levis, last one I'll ask you. Will Levis, your thought? Yeah, he's he's a solid, solid prospect and uh, a really good talent, big, strong, you know, Andrew Luck, you know, type of, you know, big physical dude with a, a cannon for arm can make – can make all the throws. Um, a great kid, a great teammate, great leader. You just you can watch when you watch these guys at their pro day, and you watch them during games. You look close. You want to see the interaction, you know. And I look at you know Will Levis, and I look at his pro day, and I see the camaraderie and how how teammates cheer for a guy. But you can tell right away whether a guy is beloved and 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 liked and and respected by his peers and his teammates just by watching those workouts. So. Uh, this guy is is a, a fabulous football player. If you if you end up with with Will Levis, uh, you're getting you're getting a really really good football player. It's one of the best events all year in this city, and that's saying something. Um, Chuck, congrats! Um, shout out to the Ursay family. I know how much they've meant to you throughout all of this. Again, 11th annual Chuck Strong Gala, over 12 million for cancer research for the IU. Can- IU Simon Cancer Center. Uh, have a great time tonight, Coach. Thank you. Thank you, guys. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. One week right now, I assume we'll be in the midst of getting ready for a opening press conference for the Colts' first-round draft pick and also getting ready for round two and round three of the NFL draft. So round one, again, coming up on Thursday, two and three Friday night, four through seven on Saturday to get more into all of this. The great Jordan Reed from ESPN joins us now at Jordan underscore Reed on Twitter. ESPN draft analyst. Jordan, let, let's begin with probably the newsiest draft item right now and has a whole lot of ramifications with the Colts, not only based off the division, but based off the fact that they are two spots higher than Indy right now. If you were Texans GM Nick Casario, Bryce Young is off the board, your team gets on the clock at number two, you do what? I think you have to take a quarterback just because you can say we can go into 2024 thinking that we're not going to win a lot of games. Um, but you're never going to go out there and purposely tank, obviously. But let's just be honest. The Texans are probably not going to be a contender next year, especially in the AFC South, let alone the AFC in general. So for them, you never know when you're going to be picking this high again. So I think you have to take advantage of having the number two overall pick, especially when you're talking about two quarterbacks, the caliber of Bryce Younger, C.J. Stroud. So which one doesn't go at number one overall? You should take the opposite of that. So I think they have to take the quarterback. So I'll play, and Jordan, I agree with you, but I'm going to play devil's advocate here, okay? With that line of thought, if you are Houston, do you entertain the notion of, look, we are not going to contend in the AFC South or the AFC, so we probably are going to be drafting high again next year. There are good quarterback prospects in next year's draft, so let's kick it for another year with Davis Mills and try to get auxiliary pieces so that next year when we get our franchise quarterback, we're that much more prepared to win. And I will counteract that and say, what if we have the number three overall pick and the two teams in front of us need quarterbacks and they're in the driver's seat for Drake May and then also Caleb Williams of USC. So there is no, I don't like talking in absolutes and we can say that, but we don't know what's going to happen in the future. It could be a situation of where we put ourselves out of contention for either one of those top two overall selections. And let's just say one of those guys go out and gets hurt. Now, we don't want that to happen, obviously, but let's just say one of them go out and get hurt. Now, if you don't even have a number one overall pick, you're not going to be in contention for either one of those players. So I don't like talking to absolutes, and I don't like looking towards the future. Let's just address the now or the present. Let's get our quarterback. And how how can we sell to our fan base and also those players in the locker room to trot out Case Keenum and Davis Mills, who led the league in interceptions last year for another season. I just don't see how you can do that. Where do you believe Jordan? Jordan Reed is our guest on the Payless Sickers Hotline. C.J. Stroud, I think, is a wonderful talent. And all of a sudden, in the last week, I can't like turn around without seeing a negative story about C.J. Stroud. Any validity to any of the question marks about him, and where do you think it's coming from? Um, there's probably a team that likes him and they're leaking a whole bunch of things just so he can slip maybe that's the only reason that I can think of but just interacting with CJ watching his tape being around him at the combine A plus character I think he's the most polished passer of any quarterback in this group, so I'm not sure exactly where the rumors are coming from, but that two-week window leading up to the draft, you always hear a lot of stuff coming out about certain players. Sometimes it's teams floating um, true or untrue rumors out there about them just because they want them to slip, and then other times there is some validity to it, but we don't really know just because we don't have the proper information on the media side. Again, he's Jordan Reed, ESPN NFL Draft Analyst. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline, six days away from round one here of the 2023 NFL Draft. Jordan, maybe putting the C.J. Stroud, Houston, whatever, takes to the side. What is the one kind of popular social media draft thought that you just don't agree with? It could be prospect-wise. It could be position depth uh, what is the one thing that you've gotten here and been like, I do not understand why that seems to be you know, growing and growing? Um, I would say labeling Anthony Richardson and Will Levis as projects are raw. 
Uh, I think a lot of people misuse both of those words with Anthony. I just think it's just a lack of experience with him. It's not a situation of where he doesn't understand what he's doing at the position. He shows the ability to process, see, read, and react. It's just a matter of him not having a lot of exposure to what's in front of him. Him only starting 13 games. So I wouldn't use the word raw project with either one of them. And then with Levis, I think it's a situation of where you just have to wonder which version of him am I getting? Am I getting his junior year version of where he looked terrific? He looked like a potential top 10 overall pick. But last year, he really had some struggles with his decision-making and accuracy. So I don't really agree with labeling either one of those guys raw or projects. You think uh, Levis's flaws or Richardson's flaws are more teachable? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I would say Richardson, just because his is more so of a footwork issue. And he just simply doesn't understand exactly how to get his body in certain positions to align his feet to a certain targets. And he's so physically gifted, he just tries to use that um, as kind of a crutch at times, as opposed to using his his understanding of aligning his body and then also his feet. So that needs to be coached into him quite a bit. So you're going to have to have some patience with him. With Will Levis, I think it's more so of just kind of questioning what he's seeing out there sometimes, especially when he throws the ball into some coverages and he has some turnovers and some decision-making issues with him. Jordan Reed is our guest. You can follow him on Twitter at Jordan underscore Reed. That's R-E-I-D, ESPN draft analyst. Jordan, I'll ask you what I've asked a couple of people, but I find it interesting because the Colts have different areas of need aside from quarterback. Uh, In your opinion, this draft is richest at what position and weakest at what position? Strongest, I would say really three positions running back, tight end, and then also cornerback. I think those are your street, three strongest positions. Bijan Robinson is the bona fide number one running back in the draft class. I could see him going anywhere from the Falcons at eight to the Chargers at 21. I think that's probably his floor as far as how far he's going to slip. Uh, after that, Jameer Gibbs, I don't know where he's going to land, honestly. He could be back into the first round, but I, I would be shocked if he make the, made it past the Dolphins at 51. But after that, I think there's a ton of different types of running backs in the draft class, different types of shapes and sizes. And you're going to be able to find a lot of different running backs in this draft class. So I think there's going to be a run on those guys, probably late second, early third. We could see as many as 10 to 12 go in that day two to day three range. So I'm really excited to see how this running back class ends up. But tight end, I think tight end is one of the more loaded positions overall in this draft class. We can see as many as seven go in the top three rounds, which is something we haven't seen in a very long time. But the weakest, I would say, is linebacker. I'm not a huge fan of this linebacker group. The top three you'll probably hear are uh, Drew Sanders of Arkansas, Jack Campbell of Iowa, and then also Trenton Simpson of Clemson. And each one of those three are different types of linebackers. So linebacker, I think, is the weakest of this year's group. Okay, Jordan Reed is with us, ESPN NFL Draft Analyst. You can follow him on Twitter, at Jordan underscore Reed. Um, providing some insight with us here on this Friday morning. Jordan, we asked you kind of Houston's thoughts at, at two. Um, the other team, obviously, would be Arizona at three that have a lot of implications to the Colts. You know, part of me originally thought an advantage the Colts would have from a trade standpoint is Arizona maybe won't want to move too far back because they want to still be in the range to get a Will Anderson. Let's say Anderson is off the board, though. Is there a defensive prospect? Is it Jalen Carter? Is it Tyree Wilson? Is it somebody else that you think Arizona would still want to stay in that top four range? Or would you look at it and say, no, we got a new GM, we got a new head coach, let's just get the trade pa- best trade package possible, and we're fine with moving back you know, later into, into the top ten? I would be really surprised if Arizona stayed at number three overall just because they have so many holes and they've lost so many players. J.J. Watt retiring, Zach Allen moving on. There's plenty of other players that they have lost. Byron Murphy signed a great deal with the Vikings. So they have so many holes on that roster, and there's a strong argument that can be made that they have the worst roster in the NFL right now. And then you put on top of that Kyler Murray returning from the torn ACL. So this is a team that's not going to win a lot of games next year, and they just need to add players at premium positions. So For them, I would look to trade back. The Colts at four is an obvious trade partner just because you want to stay in contention for a Will Anderson. I don't think they're going to take Jalen Carter personally just because whenever you're a new GM and you're a new head coach walking through the door, your first pick 
ever during your tenure is probably not going to be a player that has some character questions. So they want more so of a cleaner prospect. So Will Anderson or Tyree Wilson would be my guess if they slide back in one spot. But with the Colts, that's an obvious trade partner to me just because they want to make sure they come up and get their quarterback at number three overall. Can you imagine if – well, first off, I, let's go back to this, Jordan, in terms of the quarterback. I, you know, there there are different theories out there that the Colts could be drafting – if everybody stays at form, okay? So if the Colts are drafting four and we know, as you talked about, you know, Houston's at two, Carolina's at one, Arizona's at three. In your opinion, at that point, the Colts will be drafting what numbered quarterback selected? They will be getting what choice? Uh, I mean, it just depends on how they have them graded. And let's say Stroud and Young, or Young and Stroud, whichever order they go back-to-back, one and two. It just depends on how similarly they have graded Levis and Richardson. Well, but I mean, do you think they'll be taking the third quarterback? And I'm sorry, I should have said that. Will they be the third team to select a quarterback or will they be the fourth team to select a quarterback? I mean, they'll probably want to trade up just so they can get the higher ranked player on their board. But let's say if they have them on their horizontal board side by side, if they have them graded similarly, they'll be fine with staying at four just because – if you have them in a direct order side-by-side, side, there's no reason to trade up and give that extra job capital for the same player that you feel as if has a similar grade. So if I had to guess, I still think they would trade up to three just so they can get their preference of the third or the fourth option, whichever one is on the board. But if they have them graded similarly, they'll probably just stay at four. How aggressively is Arizona shopping that third pick? Very, <laughs> very aggressively. There's a lot of teams keeping an eye on what happens with Houston at two just because that could send the draft and the tailspin just because if they go Will Anderson now you're talking about CJ Stroud being available at three now I can see a lot of teams calling up Arizona to trade up to that third spot I can see the Raiders uh, the Titans the Vikings potentially there's so many different teams that want to trade up for a quarterback potentially now Arizona can entertain a lot of different offers Last one for me, Jordan. Uh, from a local angle, I don't think we'll hear names maybe called in round one or round two, but it does seem like in the middle-ish rounds, you could see a couple of Purdue Boilermakers uh, come off the board. So I'll throw four names at you, and if any of them stand out to you, feel free. Uh, Aiden O'Connell, Payne Durham, uh, Charlie Jones at wideout, and then on the defensive side of the ball, I know a lot of people like uh, the measurables of Corey Trice at corner. Yeah, there's a lot of fans of Aiden O'Connell out there, and he was a player that I got to see out in Las Vegas at the East-West Shrine Bowl, and he had a really good week. And you talk to a lot of scouts of who's going to be that mid-round quarterback that a lot of teams like, and Aiden O'Connell's name has come up quite a bit. Me and Matt Miller just released a piece yesterday. We had a quarterback-only mock draft, and we had him going in the fifth round, I believe it was, to the Detroit Lions, which would be a really good spot for him. So Aiden O'Connell is definitely a name to keep an eye on, but Charlie Jones is another that a lot of people like in that fourth or fifth round range. Jordan, you are a product, if I'm not mistaken, of North Carolina Central University, one of the HBCUs. Yes, uh, the Colts have had a lot of success in in guys coming from historically black colleges, smaller schools. Antoine Bethay comes to mind. Shaquille Leonard comes to mind. So I thought I would ask you this. Give me the player in this year's draft, if there is one, from an HBCU that is coming from a small school that somebody's going to get themselves a darn good football player that people might have slept on because they were out of a small school. You brought back some flashbacks when you said Shaquille Leonard. I actually coached against him when I was coaching in college. He's a terrific player. I knew he was going to translate really well to the NFL level. But one player I would recommend that I think is going to be really good on the next level, his name is Aubrey Miller. He's a linebacker from Jackson State. He originally started his career at Missouri. He wanted a bigger role, wanted to go somewhere to where he could have an expanded role, and that's exactly what he was able to do at Jackson State. Uh, SWAC Defensive Player of the Year last year. Only six foot, 225 pounds, so he's a little bit undersized, but he fits that modern-day mold of having those smaller linebackers that can really run. He's good in coverage. He's a really good blitzer, but where he's going to make his most impact early on is on special teams. He's going to be a core four special teams player, very physical at the point of attack. So he's one that I think is going to be a really good role player on the next level. Jordan, awesome stuff, man. Uh, will you be in Kansas City at all? Should be looking for you on the various ESPN networks coming up here next week. Yes, sir. You'll find me on there. Love it. Uh, thank you, Jordan. Thank you, guys, as always. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Eight o'clock hour underway. For those that are curious, as we had talked about the Indianapolis Motor Speedway practice day number two, actually open test, technically speaking, uh, day number two, officially now on a holding pattern in terms of the conditions at the Speedway. No big surprise there. Just out of curiosity, Kevin, we didn't mention mention it earlier. Uh, you will or will not on September 10th be attempting to see Pearl Jam live at Ruoff. Ooh, um, boy, I'm going to guess. Is, is that a Saturday? I believe it, it's the weekend. Yeah, I think it's a Saturday. Yeah, I'm going to guess no on that end. I would I would assume that's going to be a tough ticket. One would assume, right? I would think Pearl Jam could go a little stadium route. When's the last time Pearl Jam played in Indy? I mean, I'm not a huge Pearl Jam fan. I, I respect them. Why do I feel like they were at Lucas Oil? Or am I imagining things? Greg Rakestar would probably know that. I they seem to me, you know, they had battles with Live Nation and and I think Ticketmaster at one point. So they seem to me to be one of those Lucas Oil, or I'm sorry, like Chicago or you know, like Louisville, like the closest that they would come. I, I don't remember them coming through here. Pearl Jam fans who will throw you down a flight of stairs over Pearl Jam are probably screaming at the radio. You moron! It was August seventeenth. Will you be going? No, I'm actually in um, Laguna Seca for IndyCar finale that weekend. I would go only because, again, I'm not a diehard fan, but I certainly respect their relevance within my era in particular. I mean, I was in... I was a freshman in college at the University of Kentucky when Pearl Jam did an impromptu and free concert on the hill at the University of Kansas while they were driving through from like Denver to Chicago. So that was kind of cool. That was right when they right when their first album had been released. People were like, "You hear about this new band Pearl Jam?" So it'd be cool to see them, but I wouldn't go out of my. But I'm not going to be in town. So yeah. Uh, well, Max turns one on the ninth. Maybe we'll just have his birthday party at Ruoff. That'd be too bad he's not turning 10. That'd That's be more fitting. Hell of a time. Greg Rankstraw joins well us done now. Well you. Thank that you. Good, that was a good one. Rank, you going to go to Pearl Jam? I will, and good 10 reference. Clearly, Kevin didn't get it, but the other two of us in the conversation did, Jake, so well played by you. The conversation is fittingly on the 10th, or the concert, I should say, um, which is Sunday night, which means I will be there if the Colts have a 1 o'clock kickoff. So it's a Sunday, okay. If not, then unfortunately I'll miss Pearl Jam, but thankfully I saw them in Louisville last September. What? When's the last time they were in Indy, Greg? First Do you know? Colts game? I believe, according to people that are more experts on this subject than me, it was 13 years ago. Okay. So it has been a while. And I now... Again, I'm not a diehard. I, you know, their songs come on. I'm like, yeah, they're cool. But my understanding is they're really good live, right? Uh, they were fantastic live. Um, and obviously, when you've been around for 30 years and everybody in the band is in their, you know, mid to late 50s at this point, you're going to sound a little bit different. But the concert experience, they were played at Bourbon and Beyond when I saw them. The concert experience was phenomenal. I actually had tickets to go see them. I forget in Nashville or St. Louis, my wife and I are going to make like a weekend out of it. It was like the first weekend in April of 2020. Obviously, that did not happen. So, uh, you know, I, I went to so many concerts when I was in college. I rarely go now, but it's just kind of like, you know, checking off bucket list items for me. Right. I, I, I totally get it. Pearl Jam off the bucket list, but I will happily go see them one more time because they were that good last year. Now, I'm guessing, Rake, that weekend you'll be obviously doing something on the high school football related front i found it really interesting I forget if it was kyle nenrip or who but somehow i came across the center grove football schedule for this fall they don't play a team from indiana until week six that is correct they have five out-of-state schools the first five weeks they still have lawrence central and lawrence north on the schedule cathedral is still on the schedule and ben davis is supposed to pop back on the schedule in week four next year so since you asked, uh, my game in week four will be IMG and Ben Davis. 
on September the 8th on Pearl Jam weekend. Uh, but yes, to your point about Center Grove, um, I, I think this is—I I think this is going to be them at least for a, for a little while. Um, and, and it's kind of you know a la Cathedral, where Cathedral has almost at, at times played more out-of-state schools than in-state schools. That seems to be less of the case for Cathedral now. But I think it's going to be the case for Center Grove at least in the next couple of years. So is Carmel falling the same boat here? I mean, I, I know we're in like a Carmel Center Grove feud right now. Obviously, they're no longer in the mix. Like, is Carmel scheduling looking the same from a football standpoint? No, Carmel schedule looks much different. Okay. Uh, they are going to play three games against out of state schools. Off the top of my head, I think it's the first three. So could they have a series much like Center Grove does with Louisville Trinity? Uh, Detroit Cats Tech is coming back down for a second year. And then in the game where Carmel was supposed to play um, Center Grove in Week 2, when that relationship fractured back in January, they are now bringing in Christian Brothers out of St. Louis. They're coming to town in Week number 2. That was a school that Warren Central played last year, and that, much like the Cincinnati Catholic schools or the uh, the Cleveland Catholic schools like Louisville Trinity, they're very much a regional powerhouse. CBC, baby. CBC. That's Christian Brothers. That's what they call it in St. Louis. Greg, I'm curious about this. Greg Regstra is our guest on the Payless Sugars Hotline. How much do you think, if at all, I, you know, the answer to this may be that it's not a huge impact, but how much of a challenge do you think the IHSAA gets now in terms of scheduling and just you know all factors based on the number of the increased number now of like non-member charter schools or academies and the number of kids that are going to schools now that are no longer IHSAA sanctioned schools or waiting to be such and as a result of that the the decline in attendance elsewhere has that had any impact at all not really. Um, you know, what, what you have, the, the biggest impact that, say, charter schools have had on, on the IHSAA is what is being talked about in terms of changing this in terms of a, a, a number of teams that participate in a given class, and we're trying to split them equitably in the non-football sports that are class sports. So basically, the guideline has kind of been, you know, there's 407 member schools currently. There's always a couple that are going through the process of, of becoming IHSAA eligible. But trying to have more or less around 100 schools in each class. Now the, the, the proposal that is going to be voted on here shortly, I don't have the exact data one's going to be voted on the top of my head, would be to have 4A as, as basically, it's not going to be the top 64, but, but I'll get to that number in a second. Instead of having like you know a certain number, it's going to be schools that are 1,400 and over. That's 4A. Schools that are 600 to 1,400. That's 3A. 325 to 600 will be 2A, and then everybody under that banner will be 1A. The arguments behind that is that there is a there is a much larger discrepancy between between the top and bottom of 4A than you have in, in either class. And what you've also had in now the 25 years that class sports has been happening is that the majority of schools that get added are smaller private or charter schools. And so there has been this rapid influx of 1A schools. And so because of that, like the line to be in 1A has basically dropped from about 400 to about 280 over the course of the last few years. And so the idea is, is that it's, it's more of an accurate uh, depictor of, of what the level of athleticism you would often have on your teams if they do this more on enrollment than, say, top 100, next 100, next 100, smallest 100. And so that really has been the impact. There's not been, other than losing an athlete or two a year, there has not been this huge outflux of talent or member schools because they want to go like the independent academy route. I hope that makes sense. Greg Ragshaw is with us, ISC Sports Network, obviously Indy 11 voice, among other things. Uh, Rick, we saw Marcus Burton win Mr. Basketball by a pretty overwhelming margin earlier in the week. He is off to Notre Dame. He's the third Notre Dame Mr. Basketball ever. Uh, Where should my level of excitement be if and when Micah Shrewsbury, I would assume, hands him the ball from day one? Um, your level of excitement should be good. He is he is awfully quick. Now, he's a bit undersized, and again, he plays 
you know, kind of a ball dominant. And he, he played off the ball at times this year, but but frankly, he's best when he is a scoring point guard. Um, how does that translate against the ACC? We will figure it out. But he is the clear Mr. Basketball winner. I thought there was zero doubt about that. And the, and the best example I can give you, I don't have the exact number of points he scored off the top of my head. I want to say in the neighborhood of 20 when they played Ben Davis in the Hall of Fame semifinal back on December the 30th. I bring that up, even though Ben Davis held him under his average, there were times where he was blown by their guards. And I saw that happen like one time all year, that game. Because we know how good Ben Davis was. He didn't allow 60 points in, in a game all season long. Obviously won all 33. But Burton was the one guy that seemingly could could blow past their defense. Uh, maybe everybody except Mark Zachary. Um, you know, during the course of that game back in December. So that kid can really play. Now, how does it translate to the ACC? We'll figure out, but I have zero qualms about him being Indiana's Mr. Basketball in 2023. One thing that we, I think, has happened since we talked to you last, Greg, or it might have been right around that time. I don't think we mentioned it. But I did think it was cool. Zane Dowdy, who we've talked about with you, mm-hmm. Kevin and I have talked about him. His dad's called in the program. Pop quiz. Nice guy. Yeah. Um, I think it's really cool, and it's great to see that he's staying at Ball State to play for Michael Lewis. Because I'm telling you, I think that guy has—he is the perfect. You know, I could see him in three years, upperclassman, MAC player, 25 win team. I, I just yeah, think absolutely. You know, nice player. He he can be. First of all, he is physically rated to play the Mid American Conference now. That is rare. That you have a freshman big that that can do that. He is that kid. He has those talents, and he has worked to develop those talents. He's six nine and two thirty. He can play in the MAC immediately. Um, again, there are parts of his offensive game he needs to refine. A lot of things you'd say about Flory Badunga, you would say about Zane Doughty. Again, do I think he's a Big Ten level player? Probably not. Do I think he can be an outstanding mid major post player? Absolutely, I can. And Michael Lewis. I think, has a chance of inserting him in the starting lineup as of day one. Dan Greg Rakeshaw with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Rake shifting gears to the Colts. We're going to hear from Chris Ballard today at noon. Uh, the NFL mandates a pre-draft press conference for every GM around the league. Um, I, I don't think there serves much purpose, uh, really probably any purpose, of asking draft-related questions. But I think we forget with this press conference, Rake, it's the first time we've heard from Ballard since the Combine. A lot has happened since then in the sense of, you know, trading Stefan Gilmore, Yanni Kangakwe, Samson Ebukam, Paris Campbell's gone. They made a big splash at kicker. They've done nothing of note on the offensive line. So I do think there are questions to be asked of him. Any of those topics stand out? Anything else kind of pop into your mind? Maybe non-draft related where he's either going to lie or not say anything? Uh, you know, you can always ask about the wide receiver position. You're not going to get much of an answer. Uh, you can you can ask about it. And again, I think Isaiah McKenzie's a nice player. Um, Don't tempt me, Rick. Well, you, I know you've asked this question probably five of the last nine press conferences like this, so you might guess. Um, and then Zach's asked the other four times that that's been the case. Um, I mean, it's just it, it, it's part and parcel kind of, of of the question marks we have. And again, you can say there's the obvious quarterback, even if the quarterback himself is not obvious, the position is that you're taking at number four. Uh, but then how do you balance wide receiver need versus cornerback need because of training Stephon Gilmore? So you're right. There's plenty of questions to be asked. How many of those get answered today? You know, I guess we'll find out a little afternoon. Hey, Ray, can I squeeze in another basketball high school question for you? Of course. It's your show, sir. Um, <laughs> That'd be great if Frank was just like, no. I'm just <laughs> right. done. I'm exhausted with I, those I, questions. I've probably done that before. Um, do we have a coaching carousel? Any news at all? I mean, this seems to be the time where some guys retire or leave or switch schools or whatever else. Where, where do we stand with that? So this is the biggest you know, kind of flight of openings that I have seen locally in the years that I have done this. And... I don't think it's a sign of a larger trend. I think it's just there are a lot of guys that have have elected, hey, I've been doing this for 35 to 40 years. It's time for me to move on. So, you know, guys like Bill Zick, uh, you know, a a guy like Al Good, and that that has been Phil. Phil Washington has been on that staff, and Phil has been a previous head coach at Attics, amongst other places, so I was not surprised that he got that job. Chris Byers going back to Warren Central after being at Franklin Central for the last – 
want to say three years, maybe four, because Chris obviously led them in the 32-0 season, then was the head coach the next season when LC beat them in the sectional, and Warren Central flirted with, with breaking the state record for the longest winning streak. Uh, just fell a little bit short of that, but now Chris goes back to Warren Central. There is a great deal of speculation, but nothing official, that Mark James will now go back to Franklin Central. He'll retire from teaching, but simply be the basketball coach at FC. But again, that's not a done deal just yet. The other one that I wanted to make sure I mentioned, because I had kind of known about this, and this was relatively well-known in coaching circles, but had not been made official until this week. Al Rhodes, coached at Penn, coached at Warsaw when they won the state title 39 years ago, uh, will retire as one of the state's all-time leading basketball coaches in terms of wins. He did make it, make it official. He has stepped down. He is retiring after a wonderful run at multiple schools, but most notably Warsaw and Penn. I remember, and again, I mean, turn your mic on. Sorry, I remember, and again, peripherally, Greg, kind of passerby thing here. So my apologies if this was like if I'm late to this party, but there there was this huge groundswell like a week and a half ago. I think we even talked about it that Jeff Teague would be named the head coach Correct. at Pike, um, and, and then, then I, Jason Delaney rumors. Too, yeah, right? and, it, and it just kind of fizzled out. Where do we stand? Uh, nothing on the, on the official on the Pike front yet, and uh, the, the job that seemingly Jason was most linked to was the Mount Vernon job. And again, that is a very attractive job, a because of the facilities. They have wonderful people to work with, namely Brandon Ecker, who is their athletic director, and they started three freshmen this past year. Um, and so they're going to be good for the next several years. That was the job that Jason Delaney seemingly was most linked with, but uh, from what I have heard, uh, he is he is not going to pursue that opportunity at this time. Rick, I don't know. Uh, we'll end with this. I don't know if you've seen Max Clark from Franklin play baseball uh, at all, but uh, you know, in your history of high school sports, you know, this state has produced some pretty good, you know, first round picks really from a mm-hmm. uh, high school baseball standpoint. I have. It's been years since I've been to a high school baseball game. I'm just curious, like, what does the scene look like at those games when you have? these elite prospects is it just like no one sits in the first two rows behind home plate and they just you know obviously it's a pitcher you have radar gun central there um and and like do they talk to max clark after the game it just the mlb draft is one of these things that fascinates me and the fact that we've got a kid from franklin franklin that will hear his name called in the first like five picks is just amazing to me so i don't know if you have any like paint the scene for me of what happens at these games well, the, the, the best, because I've, I've done a lot of high school state finals. I do some high school baseball regular season games. The best story I can give you regarding scouts is actually from a college baseball story. So you got to go back about 11 years, and Sean Manaya kind of blows up after having a great summer in the Cape Cod League. And Sean was a kid that, that went to South Central Union Mills, transferred to Andrean, had to sit for a good chunk of a year, but then, you know, played well in the postseason, had a Division One scholarship, had this huge summer between his sophomore and junior years, and after his juniors when he was draft eligible, and kept pitching well his junior year at Indiana State, who, by the way, beat Vanderbilt, who's number four in the country on that. Tuesday, and they're top their 22nd. They're really good. I'm going to have them on ESPN Plus coming up in a couple of weeks. But anyway, this is in the time when I am writing for 1070 The Fam. And so I'm like, okay. Let's. I'm, I'm going to go drive over and see when this kid's pitching. He's got a Saturday game. Frankly, it's a weather day a lot like this one. Gray and rainy. It's, it's, it's in early May. And I think largely because, A, they got a turf infield over there, and B, it was Manaya's turn to pitch. It's the reason they played the game. There's probably about 60 people in the stands, and half of them are scouts. And apparently Sean had been dealing with a little bit of arm issue. And it turns out this was like May or Saturday in May. This is the last time he threw all all that season. And he ends up throwing about five innings and basically almost kind of like a like a rehab start from major leaguer in AAA. Like, like throws nothing but fastballs, just just spots it. But every pitch is being clocked and every pitch is 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 being charted. As soon as he is pulled in the fifth inning, like literally when the next guy comes out for the sixth. The entire first two rows of the building leave and go to the park <laughs> because they, they had seen whom they were there to see. And that's despite the fact that the starting pitcher that day for Evansville 
was Kyle Freeland, who a year later was the sixth pick in the draft wow. by the Colorado Rockies. So when, it, when you when you ask me about scouts, that's immediately the story that comes to my mind in, in my head. All right, he's out. Let's go get a walking taco and meet up and get some nerd rope from the old uh, concession stand. Let's go meet up in the parking lot. I think they were all going to the Ballyhoo downtown. I think that's where <laughs> they were heading on that day. Uh, Ray, great stuff. What's on the weekend agenda for you? Uh, so uh, this was a planned off day for me from a, from a play-by-play standpoint. Mother Nature ensured that was going to be the case. Uh, little Marion University softball tomorrow afternoon. They were 36-4. and Last time I checked their record, one of the top teams in the NAI. And then Indy 11 soccer tomorrow night. Uh, we still have yet to score a goal in league play in April, so hopefully that can be fixed with a first home appearance by Monterey Bay out of Central California, Ooh. or as Jake would call them, the Fighting Corkscrews from Laguna. That's State. right. That is exactly right. That's the decent area, man. Well, you yeah. would like to be on the play-by-play for maybe a road call out there. Uh, and you know what? I actually lucked into a work conference with Emmis out there about six years ago, so I have spent some time on Cannery Row. I would never have visited that area, and I freaking love that place. <laughs> yeah, I cannot wait to go back. I was there like in early June. Apparently, I avoided most of the June gloom. It was like sunny for the first three days we were there. It was sunny and breezy and in the 70s, or as I would call it, exactly perfect fat guy. Oh, it's like it's like room place. temperature. <laughs> you, you sit outside, and you're like, I forgot I'm outside. You know what I mean? No, it's oh, it's wonderful. One, and, and, and the way the sun, the way it shimmers off the ocean, yeah, that'd be a, that'd be a nice place to, uh, if I needed a retirement soccer gig, I'd, I'd sign up for the play-by-play guy for Monterey Bay Union, believe me. Rick, have a great weekend, man. See you guys.